It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On Reds podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Head over to BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On to get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code Locked On. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The 2020 season did not quite go as planned for Reds fans as the playoffs ended abruptly in the wild card round. Now the Reds are left to pick up the pieces during the offseason and fix a lineup that was the worst in Major League Baseball. How are they going to do it? What are they going to do? Rumors, transactions, news, all here on the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Let's go. Alrighty, for today's Locked On Reds, we've got a throwback Thursday. We are continuing this series. I, I kind of unwittingly began a series of topics talking about the dead ball era. And of course, we are talking with our friend Cam Miller, the man, Cam Miller Films on Twitter. You can follow him there. He does all kinds of work for the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum and lots of great sports topics around town. You can check out the Covington Blue Sox kind of mini documentary that he's got. Cam, how are you doing, sir? I am doing absolutely splendid. As splendid as one can right before Christmas, the midst of winter upon us. Baseball <laughs> is kind of a law, but we're getting ready to fire it back up again with the hot stove, ready to throw some logs on that bad boy, and re- I'm raring to go. Absolutely. And the hot stove is definitely something we need right now. we got snow kind of sprinkled on the ground around here and uh, the wonderful tri-state area. We're not like the Northeast right now that's just buried, right. so that's nice. Right, and I and I always call it, it's 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 snain. It's not rain or snow, it's snain. Yeah. So it's like I would much <laughs> rather have snow or give me rain. Don't tease me. Now, don't do that. Yeah. You gave me the snain. I don't want the snain. That's awful. The wet stuff <laughs> that gets all crunchy under your feet when you walk outside. Yep, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, let, let's have some fun. Let's, let's look at the top Five hitters of the dead ball era. The dead ball era was, it's kind of hard to judge statistics because they are so different back then than they were today. It's not like we're talking about a ton of guys with homers galore and all this other stuff. Completely different era. So looking at these guys is going to be very interesting. They're going to have super high batting averages and probably super low slugging percentages, but they're going to be a lot of fun to look at. And I definitely wanted to check that out on today's episode here of the Lockdown Reds podcast with you. Sounds awesome. I'm ready to go. So I know, um, at, at least looking back at this period of time, and we mentioned him in our last episode that Cy Seymour was a, a big name, a, a star at the plate for the Reds during this period of time. Is he your number one guy? Or do you want to start out with number five and work your way up to number one? Well, you, it's such a beautiful segue because I will have to go one through five because you told you said Cy Seymour. And who is number one on my list? Of course, it's Cy, the man. There he is. Cy Seymour. I mean, think and just think about this. I mean, the man, five seasons with the Reds, he, he's still 332 average. I mean, are you kidding me? He's still 
And I, and I will say, and I know I've said it before, but he is one of those guys that if you were going to make, I know five seasons and he's Reds Hall of Fame, I understand that. But one of those guys that deserves maybe not a statue, but some sort of outside plaque, one of those things where you kind of pay tribute to some of these 19th century or dead ball uh, players that don't get that big red machine or 1940 World Series champion love. They don't get that attention. Um, some of these players, just because they kind of get buried in the back, especially in the dead ball era, in the year 1900 to 1919-20, around there, right before Babe Ruth comes on the scene. So you've got these teams that have these players, and like you said, the stats are strange, kind of hard to decipher kind of where they fit into the grand scheme of baseball. But Cy Seymour, one of those guys that just absolutely was a, a, a unbelievable hitter, one of the most underrated hitters in not only Reds history, but baseball history. So he is absolutely number one on my list. It was all about putting them where the defense wasn't, and Cy Seymour was fantastic at that. I could see – I mean, I know that we, we kind of missed this opportunity with uh, – uh, not last year, but two years ago with the awesome throwback unis. It would have been cool to see them maybe like stitch together a replica Cy Seymour jersey for the throwback jersey. That would have been kind of cool, but a plaque would right. definitely be Hit, Yeah, definitely. I mean, th- that's the one thing. It's tough. We have such a rich – unbelievable history in Cincinnati as the fans know I mean we have just we are the 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 epitome of a baseball town we are the baseball town my apologies to the St. Louis fans out there listening listening to us right now (laughs) but we are a baseball town the baseball town and it's hard to sometimes we get so it gets so lost with all of the decades and all of the great teams that we've had and some also some bad ones but during this dead ball era there was not a lot to cheer for in Cincinnati there was a lot more individual players that you could root for i mean you did have Bid McPhee manage the team for a couple of years so he was kind of like that you know leftover from the 19th century where 1882 member of the 1882 American Association champions who by the way should have a pennant flying somewhere in Great American Ballpark but that's for another episode <laughs> but Cy Seymour leading the top of that list of those teams that um didn't have necessarily great success in the win-loss column but I mean you would go to the park and you grab your German beer and you'd have your German wife next to you and you'd be root root rooting at plows of the fans or redland or whatever the case would be during this time and you would have these individual players. It kinda of reminds me of the eighties where there was hope for a pennant, but you had such superstars. And as a child of growing up in that era, you had the Eric Davises, the Barry Larkins, the Chris Sabos, fan favorites. That's kind of like how I feel about the dead ball era when it comes to some of these great players. Is you had more fan favorites than you did actual uh, teams that you were rooting for back then. So that's really rooting for players isn't really a new thing. And actually, it also was a thing back in the dead ball era as well. That's um, looking back at players like that, and especially with a guy like Cy Seymour. It's just interesting to note because he had a career where he wasn't – I mean, we're not looking at a dude who had a career with one team. He kind of moved around a little bit, and part of that was because he actually grew up in New York. He's not a native Cincinnatian, but he uh, he grew up in New York, and so he hopped around a little bit. Uh, is there any sort of thing – like I know that on Baseball Reference they kind of tell you like, oh, hey – uh, he was cut from the Orioles, and then on July 17th of 1902, the Reds signed him as a free agent. Uh, is there any sort of thing maybe in the Hall of Fame that they, they kind of talk about the Reds getting Cy Seymour? Or is that that might be, like, really obscure, like, looking way back. Yeah, it's not. And that, and that that's where I think that it's some kind of plaque or even some kind of digital video screen outside the ballpark. I mean, I know we live in an era now where that would be possible. 
I mean, it's a lot different now than when the Red Sox game first opened. I mean, you have these opportunities to do some of these things with technology where it's not really, I mean, you kind of get the gist of the story, but we don't really get to dig deep in this size anymore and what he was about and where he was from. I mean, like you said, baseball reference. I mean, people can pull it up on their phone and kind of get the gist of it and the Wikipedia entries and whatnot. But there are little stories within the story of these, some of these players, especially this top five list, where it's not um, – you're going to get the, the, you know, the stats and you're going to get, okay, he was traded here and then he went there and then this happened and he led the league here. You're going to get the basis of it, but you really don't get to know much more about the player unless you really dig and you go to you know, a Sabre website or you go to you – know, you happen to uh, find a book. And it happens to have a couple chapters that involve, you know, Cy Seymour. So that's where I think that some of these players, especially in the dead ball era, it kind of they get lost in the shuffle because unlike, you know, Pete Rose and Dave Concepcion's and George Foster's uh, of the world, we don't have much information about them, not only because of the time that they played, but just because they kind of get lost in the shuffle of the greatness that would come later for the Reds. So, which is another reason why a plaque or some kind of digital presentation outside where you push a button and Cy Seymour comes up, heck, I'm ready for the, uh, you know, whatever the 3d thing to pop out of the ground and him shows him <laughs> swinging a bat or something. We can make that happen. I mean, come on. It, it, we've, we've reached that point. Let's do that. <laughs> that would be awesome. You get the old timey uniforms and stuff. And yeah. And, and one final thing too, before we move on to number two on the list of the top five hitters from the Reds dead ball era, I would I would just like to see his reaction to me saying, "Dude, in 1905, you had an OPS plus of 181. That is awesome." I'm sure he would right. be like, "Well, how about what that?" What is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like, "Let's go get a beer and I'll tell you about how I used to, you know, we we played the Giants and I hit three home runs and that's what he would be about." Yeah. No question. <laughs> I would definitely get that beer. All right, so let's so Cy Seymour is the man for the Reds with a bat during the dead ball era. Who came in second yeah i won't spend too much time on each one of these guys i know i can kind of get on our little rambling thing here but i'll give you kind of the gist and maybe you'll see some of these names and you won't recognize them and then you can go to your internet device and look them up and kind of find out some things but number two i had jake beckley now recently you know came in the hall of fame he was in 1971 he gets in the national baseball hall of fame and it took him oh what it was a couple years ago when the reds finally got him in so Long time coming for his recognition, for at least in the red standpoint. Seven seasons, bad 325. Um, just an overall solid player. One of those guys that you could depend on. I mean, it's hard to tell, you know, from the day to day, like we were talking about before, like what was their streaks? How did they? What was? How did they play the game? What was, you know? What was there? Did they were they better in August and July? It's really not. They didn't really care about breakdowns like that. How was he against the shift? Well, didn't really think about that stuff back then, but. Looking as far back as I could and kind of like to, to digest it, he was one of those guys that just was super solid. You could depend on him to get the job done. He was going to go up there, and he was going to get the hit for you. I mean, he didn't have a ton of power. I mean, a little bit perhaps, but he was just one of those guys that you could, you know, he's going to, you know, he's going to hit. I mean, 325, it's not too shabby. I mean, the guy could hit. So, yeah, definitely. Jake Beckley, number two on my list. He's a dude, and looking at him, he had a long career, 20 years. And his right. last, the right. last part of his career stop was in Cincinnati. And the fact that he was just that good even at that point in his career really speaks to how he was able to play. And we're not talking about, obviously, you know, guys weren't sucking down organic supplements and working out every right. single day and all this stuff. Like, I can imagine, you know, you know, they probably leave the ballpark and they go 
you know, kick back with a cigar or something like like looking at this dude's picture on baseball reference, this guy definitely likes cigars. He has an epic mustache. Oh, I mean, no all... question. <laughs> He's one of those guys where I would love to go back in time. Once I get my flux capacitor fixed, I'm going back in time and me <laughs> and Jake and Ed Roush and Cy Seymour we're going to go to the Strauss house and we're going to knock back a couple beers and have some cigars. We'll go to the banks, you know, now that you can walk around with the beer now, I, I heard. That's fantastic. Yes. So we have a cigar, have a few brews, and let's just talk about baseball back in the day. And I'm sure that most of the stories will be about the train rides and the card games that they had because that's what it was about back in those <laughs> days. <laughs> and one last thing before we move on to number three, something else Baseball Reference has. And I don't know exactly how you verify this, but I'm rolling with it. His nickname is Eagle Eye. And that is a mic yep. drop. That absolutely is true. And the greatest of mic drops, Mr. Jake Meckley. All right. So who is number three? Number three, I had Sam Crawford. Now, this was tough. I kind of flip-flopped back and forth with the order of some of these. But I had to, in the middle of the pack, Sam Crawford, a power guy, just an absolute beast. 26 home runs uh, during the decade of the 1900s, which it sounds insane. 26, but that's... Again, we're talking about the dead ball era. <laughs> Good old Sam Crawford, who, again, a member of the Reds Hall of Fame. One of those guys, again, that um, would have probably thrived in today's game um, of, you know, just hit home runs and launch angles. I'm sure he would have been thrilled to have a cigar to have a good Christian Moorline beer down at the banks <laughs> and talk about his launch angle. But that, yeah, Mr. Sam Crawford definitely fits into that category as one of the one of the best hitters uh, more on the power side than the average side, but I would say that his, his power is probably what puts him at number three for me. I was going to say, looking at especially 1901 and 1902, he has slugging percentages that are very respectable for even today's numbers. And his OPS, right. his OPS plus, again, something that I'm sure that he would be very um, uh, into, was 167 in 1901 a good hitter right for the reds and actually inducted into the hall of fame had a um according to the baseball reference page had a very long career with the tigers after leaving the reds and i believe let's see yeah voted in by the veterans committee in 1957 so he is in the hall as they say right. actually right and uh, according to Baseball Reference, in 1914, as a member of the Tigers, finished second in MVP voting. So, really, what we're saying is here, the Reds set him up for success because he began as a Red. And he was very good. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Those, I agree 100%. And those are the funny numbers, too. Looking at this one, uh, one more before we move on. Sorry. I, it, it, numbers always jump out at me. It, uh, he hit 16 home runs in 1901. He led the major leagues, not just the National League. He led all the major leagues with 16 home runs. I, I think we had like five guys hit 16 home runs in a 60-game season this last year. Right. So right. That's just the... You'll have bench guys that hit 16 home runs in this yeah. season these days. So <laughs> absolutely correct. It's such a good player. I mean, again, one of those guys that it would be nice to have a little bit more. Now, granted, he didn't play a lot of years in Cincinnati, but he did make an impact here. And like you said, set him up for his success. I mean, he wasn't too shabby. I, I absolutely have been fascinated with his career. I think he's one of those guys that you could definitely say that um, – Without, you know, we need players like that. We need the Sam Crawfords in our history to kind of to kind of give us an idea of what it was like to play in that era. Again, this era is so strange. It's 
an excellent topic. I mean, and I'm glad that you're doing it because it needs to be out there. Some of the guys that you know from our you know days of the Big Red Machine and whatnot, this era really produced some fantastic players, and it kind of makes you want to think and dig a little bit, like you're like what you're you're saying and what you're doing to kind of get the the information out there that hey, these guys were pretty good. I mean, they weren't too shabby. Give them some credit here. Coming up, we've got number four and number five on the list of top Reds dead ball hitters. That's presented by Cam Miller. But before we jump into that, it's time to open up a Built Bar. Grab that Built Bar, that whether it be cookies and cream, some cherry bar, see ya, and take a bite. It's the most delicious protein bar you will ever taste because it tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has this amazing formula that's going to deliver the taste of an amazing snack to you without all the guilt. They've only got 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of fat, and in some cases up to 17 grams of protein. Are you kidding me? Some people even say it's a meal replacement. I don't necessarily vouch for that because, well, I like to eat. But it is a very nice in-between meal snack that's not going to make you feel like you just ate half a bag of chips. Because believe me, I know how that feels. Check them out at BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On. You'll get 20% off your next order. And Built Bar's got a lot of amazing products as well, like Built Go a uh, kind of energy supplement to get you ready for your workout or to just help you get through that part of the day where you got a lull and you feel like you want to take a nap. Belko will help you out with that as well. Check them out at BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. Let's, uh, let's take a look. Okay, so we've got Cy Seymour. We've got the man, Eagle Eye. Now we've got Wahoo Sam. All right, who's yes. number four? Number four, we have – now, this one's interesting because he's mostly known in 1919 for the world champion Reds, but Heine Grow, Heine Grow at number four, who, in my estimation, needs more recognition as one of the best third basemen to ever play for the Cincinnati Reds. We have – we have Suarez, we've had Sabo, Pete Rose, of course, and the list goes on and on of great third basemen that have played for us. But Heine Groh, absolute beast, a solid, consistent hitter. Again, mostly known for 1919, and, and that's where his name pops up a lot for Reds fans if they research. They're going to find, oh, Heine Groh. And, of course, his name's Heine, so yeah. what else do I need to say <laughs> about that? So you have Heine Groh, who's, like I said, consistent, played – um, 1913, 1921, uh, just, I, I always think of him as like, when you think of third baseman, of course you think Mike Schmidt power guys, just that's the way that the, the position has been portrayed for many, many years and no different in the dead boy or Heine grow one of those solid, consistent guys at the plate. I mean, a great defense, but at the plate, just, just super solid. And that's why I had him at number four. He's known for the World Series team, obviously. Most Reds from this era are known for their 1919 involvement. But in 1917, he led the National League in hits. And led the National League in hits at 182 and actually had a league-leading 39 doubles as well. Right, right. Just, yeah, solid. I mean, just – and, of course – Today, most of those doubles would have been out of the park. I mean, yeah. so that tells you right there the kind of power that he had. I mean, he wasn't a slouch. Uh, one of those guys that we know the name, and most fans will know the name because it's Heine, but Heine Grow for the 1919 team, the man was awesome and fits into that dead ball era because of his career. I mean, it's the tail end of the dead ball era, but again, fits in perfectly, and I think he, he again, deserves a little bit more recognition for what he did. 
Also, if you look up his picture on BaseballReference.com, he does not look like a guy that if you walked up and said, hey, your name's Heine, that uh, he's going to let that one slide. So, <laughs> no, no, you're not, that's not. Yeah, you're not doing that. I mean, yeah. he's going to with Heine. He's going to wait until you've had a few, and then when you step out into the alley, he's going to let you know about that five finger sandwich is about. So, <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to knock you for a home run. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got our fourth, Mr. Heine Grow, and according to Baseball Reference, his full name Henry Knight Grow, which we're still going to roll with Heine. Who's number five? Absolutely. Number five, and I will not have to say much about this guy because once I say the name, it speaks for itself. From Indiana, you know him, you love him, Mr. Ed Roush. Oh, yeah. Ed Roush comes in. Yes, he comes in to the Reds at the tail end of the dead ball era, but there is no way possible that I could put a list together with in the dead ball era, albeit that it is at the tail end, Ed Roush with two Ds, E-D-D Roush, the man, the myth, the legend, another one that you know from 1919, but the man was voted in 1969 when the Cincinnati Reds had a special day at Crosley Field where they named the top players in Reds history the number one favorite Red of all time, according to 1969 Reds fandom, was Ed Roush. So he has to be on this list. So pre-Big Red Machine, everyone loved Ed Roush more than Ted Klesowski. That's, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he and it was a landslide. I mean, I know the Inquirer had a hand in this, and it was a Reds team thing, and they did the, you know, 1869-1969 thing where they kind of put together this list. And Ed Roush was just a landslide. The man was super, super popular. Of course, he played for the 1919 team, but he was another one of those guys. I had the pleasure to put together the 1919 film of the Reds Hall of Fame, oh, geez, 15 years ago, I guess. And we had access to all of the audio recordings he did of interviews. Um, So listening to him tell the stories about back then, he was one of the guys that you, uh, like Heine, you're not messing with him. He will as soon as slug you in the face <laughs> and then put up with any of your crap because he was one of those old school guys. And he played that way on the field, which is probably, and this is my uh, speculation, but I'm going to say why he was so popular. We Cincinnatians love our hustling, scrappy ball players, and he definitely fits the mold. Not from Cincinnati, from Indiana. Um, kind of a rabble rouser, kind of, you know, wasn't no drinking, no smoking, none of that, but he was a fighter. He would just as soon knock you out than anything else. That's just the way he played the game. And there's a special place for players like that. You know, the late, great Ryan Friel, of course, P. Rose. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have that, you know, we, we Cincinnati fans are just, that's who, that's who we identify with, that blue collarness. And Ed Roust absolutely exemplified all those characteristics. Just looking at his picture on Baseball Reference, he looked like he wanted to fight the photographer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not smiling. Don't tell me to smile. I am going to take this picture, and then I'm going to knock a few back, and then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play about six baseball games in a row, and you're going to love it. <laughs> he and, and that's a, a, another thing. If we bring up OPS+, Plus, he might just go take a nap in the outfield. But he <laughs> never had an OPS+, Plus under 124. His career OPS plus with the Reds in 12 seasons was 135. This dude could hit. Absolutely. Just unbelievable. And he used a heavy bat. He was one of those guys that, 
again, uh, just would, would do anything. And his teammates loved him. Absolutely loved him. I mean, of course you love playing for a guy like that. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because you got to remember the salaries during this era and how things work and how paying was. And Ty Cobb, you know, kind of is the backdrop of all this during the dead ball era of his salary and, and the fighting and bickering that went on between ownership and players during this time frame. But Ed Roush is one of those guys you could probably pick out on one hand, guys that absolutely played the game for the love of the game. Of course he wanted the money. Of course he sat out and did things and joined the Federal League and all of that. Of course that. But if at the end of the day, if you said uh, you have to play for free, he's one of those guys who said, okay, I'll play for free. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go and work on my farm, but I will also – kick your butt on the field. That's just who he was. And it's, you know, it's a different time. Of course, it's hard to find players like that these days that would do that. But again, during this time frame with the, the salary and the economics of baseball, um, he's one of those guys, no question about it. That would absolutely said, I will farm and do my side business in Indiana. And then I'm also going to play baseball for free. Just a, an absolutely, when you say baseball player, Ed Roush comes to mind. These numbers are just staggering to me. He played 1,967 career games with 8,157 plate appearances, and he mm-hmm. lived to the ripe old age of 94. I mean, that's that's a yes. phenomenal, phenomenal life. Right. I want to say he died in 88. Am I correct on that, 1988? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, wow. Good 88, Lord. he dies, but he, he dies in 1988. And if I'm not mistaken, it was right after attending a Red Spring training game because he lived in Florida at the time. So he was going to, to talk to players, and, and he still had a you know relationship uh, with the city of Cincinnati, obviously, and the team. I mean, heck, he became a coach after his playing days in Cincinnati for a few years. But at his ripe old age, right, he was living in Florida, and I want to say that he died. Um, he might have even passed away at a uh, Red Spring training game. It was right around that time where he was at, at the game or just left the game. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, baseball through and through, ran through his blood. Just an amazing, amazing player. And you're right, the numbers are just absolutely staggering. He's the quintessential baseball guy, especially from the baseball town of Cincinnati. I I did a, um, I think my first year doing the podcast during the offseason, I was doing some throwback Thursdays trying to look at some players that weren't in the big red machine. Cause I feel like we all have a pretty good knowledge of those guys. And I, I, right. I did an episode about Ed Roush cause I found his Sabre bio and that was just, it, it's just phenomenal. Sabre does such a good job right. of looking at all aspects of a guy's life. They'll even tell you kind of like what his life was like before baseball and then what it was like after. And he was just so intriguing and a guy that I don't know, like what the afterlife's going to look like and all that stuff. I'd love to meet him in the afterlife and just talk baseball with him. Like I, that'd be amazing. Oh, absolutely. And you are so correct on that. And this is one of those pet peeves I have about today's game. And I promise not to go on a giant tangent here, <laughs> but those things, what you're saying, learning about these players and what they did before the game that led them to be great in the game. And then what they did afterwards and their association with baseball it is such an important part of our pastime to have that relationship because that's what makes baseball different than anything else. Nobody cares about, uh, and I say this as a sports fan, every other sport, you can have your little stories and, and your last dances about Michael Jordan. Absolutely fantastic documentary. But baseball is an American story. We can relate to it. It's embedded into the fabric of who we are. So if you want to go on and you talk about the, the launch angles and the numbers, I absolutely understand that. And I understand that the game changes. But you cannot have baseball without these stories of players like Wahoo and Eagle Eye 
and Ed Roush with two D's. You can't have baseball without these guys and their stories because that's what makes up the game, which is why we need to remember that every time that somebody doesn't launch it to the angle we want them to, <laughs> pay attention to the player and what his makeup is because that's the story you need to pass down to your kids is what kind of person he is, what kind of player he was, his drive for the game. It's about the game. It's never been about anything else, not the numbers, not how staggering they may be. It's always going to be about the players and the relationship you personally have with those players, whether you're reading about some old-timey guy or you're reading about the, the latest player that's coming up the ranks in the Reds farm system. You have to have a relationship with them because that's what makes baseball what it is. Really appreciate Cam coming on and talking about the batters. Next week, we're going to talk about the top five pitchers. That'll actually be next Throwback Thursday. Cam will join me again to talk about this dead ball era Cincinnati Reds. It's like he said multiple times, something I've said multiple times, the dead ball era is a fantastic era to look at and a very underserved era in baseball history. So I'm very happy to at least be looking from a Cincinnati Reds perspective at this era of baseball history, way back at the beginning of the 1900s. But that's going to do it for us here today. Tomorrow on the podcast, going to look at some of the news and notes coming out of Major League Baseball, talking about some rumors. The Reds made a trade. It's it's not really that huge of a trade. They, they swapped a prospect for a prospect. Going to break that down as well on tomorrow's episode. So you're not going to want to miss that. Best way to not miss it is to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159 for reactions, comments, questions, whatever you've got. Send them on over on the Locked On Reds line or on Twitter as well. But that'll do it for us here today. Now tell your smart device to play Locked On NBA. They've got the Locked On NBA preseason previews going on right now. I've been listening to the Locked On Pacers all week, getting ready for the Indiana Pacers season coming up. Check them out on the Locked On NBA podcast, wherever you get your podcast. But thank you so much for listening. I will talk to every single one of you tomorrow. Let's go Rex. Hey. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.